and welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, the podcast that is obsessive about wine, but also obsessively fun. Today, you are in luck. We've got someone super obsessed with wine, so much so that he's created a series of documentaries and other film series around the subject of wine and sommeliers. We're talking about Jason Wise, the director, producer, best known for Psalm. I am one of the two Marys hosting this podcast. I'm Mary Orlin. And I'm Mary Babbitt. And we are so delighted to have Jason Wise with us. As Mary Orlin mentioned, he's a filmmaker best known for the Psalm documentary series. And this three-part series that he made, they are the most successful documentaries on iTunes, Netflix, and Hulu. And I'm sure many of our listeners are well aware of these wonderful films. Jason and his wife, Christina, now run Psalm TV, which is a streaming network for wine content. And they make the popular series on Psalm TV, Verticals, which profiles some of the most influential people in the wine world, opening some of their favorite vintages. So Jason, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Um, You always seem to have a lot going on. So what are you in the middle of working on right now? Oh my God. How long is the podcast? Uh, First of all, (laughs) an honor to be here ladies it really does mean a lot thank you for asking me to be on um let me think uh, how do i even answer that question so i have seven feature films that i've directed coming in the next nine or ten months oh some of those you know i've taken years to make i have five series for some tv that i've directed in the works i have oh boy oh boy i host a podcast i have two children um it's all, you know, there is no separation of work and uh, and wine and life. It's a lot of stuff. Are you insane? I am, uh, well, clinically, yes. <laughs> but I would say emotionally, I feel pretty stable. Well, that's good. So you have a super full life. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, honest to God, if I was to really get into what's going on, oh, my Lord, I would start having anxiety. But yeah, there's a lot going <laughs> no, on. No, we don't want to have that. Not on, the, not on this show. So um, first of all, general question is every film I've watched in the credits, it says Forgotten Man Films. And I've, I'm curious, what does that stand for? Forgotten Man Films. Okay, so that is a that has been my production company since my senior thesis film I made at film school, which had to do with World War II. It was not about, it was not about uh, wine at all. Um, it is a reference to one of my favorite movies that's ever made called My Man Godfrey. It was made in the 1930s, and it's a great kind of screwball comedy, but with a real biting social edge. And there's a scavenger hunt in the film, and these rich people have to find a forgotten man, which was slang for a homeless person at that time. And the person they find is the main character of the movie, uh, named Godfrey, a very famous actor. But Forgotten Man Films is a reference to that film, which I just I can't tell. If you've never seen My Man Godfrey... My God, are you in for a treat? It's one of the funniest movies ever made. Wow. Okay. I love that tip. Thank you. I'm going to look for that. Um, (laughs) So can you back us up and tell us how, so you went to Chapman for film school. Mm -hmm. You didn't set out to make documentaries about the wine world or to be really, to make your name that way, but that's kind of what happened to you. Was that 2012? Yeah, that sounds about right. I, you know, when, so some was sort of finished around 2011 and came out 2012 in theaters. If I'm, if I have my dates, right, it's been, uh, I've had some glasses between now and then, so I might be a little off, but the, um, so basically, you know, I started off, I always, I always did want to make documentaries, but not only. So I sort of thought I saw myself as, uh, you know, prior to, prior to some, most of my work was working with actors, you know, my, my 
all the all the work I did in college obviously was with actors and on actual sets and things like that. And I got a job directing a travel show for PBS. And so while I was there, I ended up in, you know, Fiji and French Polynesia and all over Chile and all over Europe, multiple, many, many trips back and forth to France and Italy. So I was in all of these incredible wine regions and, and it was focused on luxury restaurants and hotel properties. And so I had a very lucky, uh, immersive experience into that type of world. And, you know, I was trying... I'm also obsessed about with history. And if you watch my films, I think that is moderately apparent that I keep trying to skew them all towards historical films, whether, <laughs> whether everyone else wants that or not. And, um, I was trying to get together a film with actors that had to do with world war one. It took place in what is, you know, the champagne region. And so as I was trying to get this film off the ground, a fellow restaurant worker, cause I was also bartending at this time. You'd, you'd be amazed to find out that documentary filmmaking and, and travel show directing does not pay incredibly so i was also so i was also bar no it does not i would say this right now to any of you listening which i doubt anyone is trying to become a documentarian but if you are consider something else if you actually want to make money um so anyways i i basically you know a friend of mine in the restaurant business whose name is brian mcclintock uh him and i were just knew each other in passing was going through that court of master sommeliers process at the early stages. And I went and saw him take a, you know, take a practice exam type thing. And I sort of couldn't believe it. You know, I played sports in high school and college and I saw this very sports mentality competition type thing and sort of applied that to a film and just started filming it. And before I knew it, I was making a documentary. <laughs> That's sort of how it all started. I think it's interesting that you said it seemed very sports-like um, because the conditioning, if you will, the training that goes into becoming a sommelier, especially at the master level, is so intense. It's like being a professional elite athlete. Yeah, it is. You know, it's funny when that film came out. So you have to understand, like, making that, that was my first feature film. It was my first film of any length. It was my first commercial project. And so, you know, we made it for a very small amount of money. And so it's easy for me to look back at it and have a different opinion about what it's about and all the people that are in it. But when we made it, understand my my background in wine, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, which is not, I don't think, known for its wine uh, culture. Um, my background in wine was as a bartender, you know, bartending my way through mm -hmm. film school and, you know, that kind of thing. So I sold wine to some extent, some extent, but I was mostly, you know, more knowledgeable in cocktails and spirits and things mm -hmm. like that. And so what happened was I took a, an approach to this where I saw a bunch of mostly guys um, ragging on each other and goofing around and doing all these things. And I sort of looked at it the way I saw, you know, a tennis team or a baseball team or a football team or something like that, where you have these people, you know, pushing each other to succeed, but also giving each other a hard time, um, mostly good natured. And it's weird to think back that way, because when the film came out, there were so many news outlets that were sports focused that named it one of the year's best sports films, which was an odd thing to, to see. Well, that's a credit to you and the excitement that you brought to it in the film, you know, because Mary Orlin and I making in wine country, one of the things we always struggled with was you can't taste the wine on TV or in a film. You can't, it's a sensory thing and you miss a lot of it when you're not the one actually sipping it so that you yeah. bring that sort of sports excitement and thrill, you know, the, the, um, 
the agony of the studying and the getting, you know, are you getting it right? Are you getting it wrong? Are you going to pass or not? And I just, I think that that's a credit to your uh, ability as a storyteller. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, I think I think I I didn't know what I didn't know, and so I think that's a lot of the reason why it worked, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you've done is also you pulled back the curtain on what has been traditionally such a secretive society, um, and there are. Isn't that you know, strange and- to say though? Like that this group of wine people, you know, when I walked in, I didn't, I didn't understand what I now know. And so it's funny that even that sentence you say, Mary, is like so funny to think about a secret society in wine. How weird is that? Right? It's weird. <laughs> it is. It is weird, but there's so much that we don't know. I mean, you couldn't actually go in and film the exams or the things that happen behind closed doors. So there's still that mystery and secrecy. Yeah, well, you know, I had a lot of audience members who, you know, I would say 99.9% of the audience for some, because it, you know, it was a film that was at the right time and it sort of hit the zeitgeist. They were very upset about that. You know, people were very mm-hmm. upset. How come I don't get to see the exam? And what they don't understand is I couldn't. They wouldn't let me in. You know, I would, uh, the court itself was not the easiest organization to deal with. I mean, and that's that's an understatement. And so... You know, it was one of these things where, but truthfully, honestly, if you if you do know the the court, the the interesting stuff is around the practicing. It's not the actual exam. It would have been pretty straightforward, and might mm-hmm. have been kind of boring actually if we were able to film it. So I think it worked out story wise actually to the advantage. But yeah, that was out of my control. Hmm. Sure. Well, you've continued to your interest in wine has only seemed to have grown since then. Um, you know, are you? Is this still an obsession for you? That was you know, uh, 2011, you said you started. So are you still just as interested? Do you, and you certainly must know a lot more now about wine. Could you be a sure. sommelier yourself? No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I wear the fact that I am not a sommelier nor, you know, Jancis Robinson always says something amazing to me. She's, you know, she was in our third film and she's somebody I just, I idolize and look up to so much. And she always says, I'm not in the wine business at all. I'm not, I write about wine, but I'm not, I'm not in the business. I don't take money from people. I write about it. I do some reviews, but I'm separate. And mm. I've always kind of hearing her talk that way makes me feel a little bit of pride that I'm in a similar situation. But every single time I, I make another project or I meet another winemaker, um, I realize how much I don't know. It is, as you as you both know, mm. probably even more than me, it is a, a wonderful, incredible bottomless pit that keeps changing and there's so many ways to go at it. And uh, for me... You know, I, hopefully we get a chance to talk about the next three Psalm films, which are mostly in the can, believe it or not. Um, you know, I believe wine is a vessel for stories. And I say this not as a cliche, but I say it as an actual, you know, you can talk about religion. You can talk about war. You can talk about love. You can talk about and wine is the thing at the table that sort of connects all of those things. And mm-hmm. so I look at wine as a it's not the thing. It's the thing that makes the thing. You know, it's sort of like it's step one that leads you to step 10. So I I adore wine and I love it so much, but I love the people and the stories and the history way more. Absolutely. Well, I think Mary Babbitt and I can both relate to that. And when we were doing our TV show, we had a segment called Behind the Label. And it really wasn't about the wine per se. It was really the story about the people who were making the wine and having our viewers get to know them outside of just being a winemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to the series that you've been doing. It's now in its second season called Verticals. 
And this is, to me, really intense storytelling focused on one particular winery. And you have developed a way to tell the story of the people behind those labels through two or three distinct bottles. Can you tell us how the idea came about and what your inspiration was? Sure. I mean, was? if you've seen the second Saw movie, Into the Bottle, that's a movie that we took sort of 10 stories about one story, you know, and it goes back and forth between, you know, the BS of wine and, and the beauty of it and the history of it and, you know, some wars and, and I sort of wanted, I wanted more. I wanted to be able to get deeper into individual producers. And, uh, also I wanted to be able to talk about some of the things around wine. Like for instance, you know, every episode has, it's about something else. Like Kathy Corison's episode, um, who's a brilliant, brilliant Napa winemaker. Her wine is incredible. We, tr we try to choose winemakers where this story is amazing, but if you just have their wine without even knowing it, it would it's, it's top-notch, world-class. doesn't necessarily mean it's expensive, but that there's a, there's a great story behind it. And Kathy Corison's in season one is about a woman who just refused to listen to the fact that it's difficult to be a woman in the wine business. She just didn't, didn't cross her mind, didn't care. She moved forward, she plowed ahead, and now she has all these young women, rightfully so, looking to her and thanking her for paving, you know, a, a path for them or whatever you want to call it. But Kathy is, that that episode is about so much more than just the vines. It's about her perseverance and things, which I don't think she thought much of, you know, or I don't think she let it get in the way. And there's another episode that has to do with the United States and China and Nixon getting together and finally, you know, the U.S. having a relationship with China. And, and we have an episode coming April 22nd in season two about Tara Gomez, who is a Chumash Native American, and she has done something with Kita Wines and her label, Kameens to Dreams, that I just has never really been done in the United States. She has put Native people on the map with a wine that is stellar beyond this story and beyond anything else. And I am just, I'm like, I could get emotional talking about how much I love this. And then we have a very, well, I guess not so secret since I'm about to talk about it, project about the Rothschild family coming, which is a feature-length version Ooh. of a Verticals episode. And it's the very first time the Rothschilds have ever allowed anybody to film their family, be a part of everything, and it talks about all their history with World War II. They open up, uh, there's four bottles that could open up in the film, and it's, um, it's a very deep, very personal look at a family that's been very private uh, for quite a long time. And it's, you know, it gives, this gives us the opportunity to tell stories based on vintage and years and emotions and things like that. So it kind of came about as I wanted to go deeper. And I just believe there are stories out there that they may not seem commercial at first look, but they're so commercial and so inspiring. And it's, I, I'm also, you know, I believe that it's time to start thinking about who gets to tell the stories in wine. Um, yeah. And not well, just you, think about it, but actually do it. Do you find people are eager to tell you their stories? Um, you know, you've had so many really luminary uh, people on uh, verticals from, you know, Paul Draper, Molly Chapelet. There are just names in the wine world that are huge. Are they eager to tell you their story and um, to have this and to open some of their oldest vintages for you? You know, it's, I, it's strange. It It's it's interesting because I look at this very much like running, having to run, you wake up in the morning and you have to go running. It's very difficult. But once you have, have ran, you're sort of like, I'm glad I did that. And it wasn't so hard. Mm -hmm. So my perspective on the answer is like, no, I don't think it was hard, but truthfully, 
gaining access to somebody is about trust and it's about perseverance. And I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a single time I've ever asked anybody to film where they don't say, at least I'm not sure about that first. <laughs> and that's good because to be truthful, you know, th this is a thing where my name is on this. Uh, Christina's name is on this. Nadine Netman, who's our who's our producer, is on this. We take this very seriously, and we want it to be good. And and so, if people come with a little bit of apprehension, it means that they care about their story too. And so often, you know, and, and understand too. The other thing is, we had to film a lot of these during COVID. So yeah. that was another incredibly that, difficult aspect of this. Exactly. I was wondering about that on the timing of some of it. And so tell us about those challenges and what kind of adjustments did you have to make production-wise in the field to get that done? It was mostly adhering to proper, you know, proper, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of protocols, legal protocols, insurance protocols, but we are a very small crew and we work kind of uh, swiftly. And, and I think that for the most part, not much changed other than it just took more pre-production. It took more time to convince people we were going to be safe. Also that my crew was going to be safe. And I think it just took more thinking about how to approach it, how to film outside, you know, and a lot of these people, they are not, they're not young. They have, you know, part of what makes their stories interesting is that they have lived a long full life. And so that also requires a lot of respect for their safety. And so I, I just think it took more time. Mm -hmm. um, but also there is a, there is a fact some of these people are older and we want to get their stories down. I'm not saying they're going to pass away soon, but it is it is one of these things that I it's important to get their stories as soon as we possibly can. So Well, there is some urgency to that for sure because you'd never know and as with um someone who you featured quite prominently in Psalm and Verticals, Stephen Spurrier, we lost him very unexpectedly. Yeah, so Stephen is a uh, you know, it's crazy, but Stephen was an incredibly good friend of my family. Um, I, I stayed at his house for a week with my crew. Um, I have spent time with him in Virginia, in London several times, in New York City, in Napa many, many times. He's in so many of my projects coming up. This really hit us so hard, mm. right in the gut. I mean, it's not, you know, it is a very tough, this was a very tough thing for us. And uh, Stephen is a major character in the Judgment of Paris film we have coming, which has been years in the making. It involves every living, um, and now some that are not, person involved in that story. Ugh, the Stephen thing, he's involved in The Cup of Salvation, which is a, a, a film that I have coming towards the end of this year mm. about the origin of wine and religion. And it, it's, it's a very, very, very challenging thing, but the truth is it just goes to show, you know, him and Gerard Basset, those were two people who passed away that were unexpected, that I um, admired and were sort of mentors to me. And, and it goes to show you need to tell people how much you appreciate them as often as you can. Oh, sure. Oh, I know. Um, I loved the, the Verticals episode on Claude Duval. Um, I knew some of Bernard Porte's story and I've, I, we met him. We shot a segment with him years ago for our TV show. What a great I, guy. Oh my gosh. And I was, you know, it's like, you know, I was wondering, is he still around? And I was so happy to see he's, you know, thriving and oh as charming as ever wait till you see him in the judgment of paris film the guy is the oh. most charming <laughs> i mean he is just a charming wonderful sweetheart of a man 
Oh, that's so great. So and you have, you, you mentioned these films, Judgment of Paris, Cup of Salvation. Um, I think you, was there another one? Um, uh, yep. The Ghosts of Spring Mountain. So those are the three Psalm films coming. Okay. And are these, um, you're making these along with the, your television series verticals? Oh, yeah. Will these be on Psalm TV or are you going to release them through something else? Another no, they will. So we made it. We made it. We made a difficult decision that Psalm TV is the home for all of this. Now, obviously, if theaters open back up properly, they will have theatrical releases as well. Um, all ever all of the Psalm movies and everything I've ever directed has gone to theaters. Not everything has been about wine, but everything has gone to theaters. We believe in the theatrical experience very strongly. But you know, they will go to Psalm TV, and it's important for us to reach the largest audience that cares. You know, as as quick as possible and that's why we created some tv so we wouldn't have have to pitch our projects to other networks you know netflix and hulu and I, we just felt we know we have an audience and we would like we don't want to waste time we want to make them right now how do you and go so, about starting your own network oh god you know how long do you have on the podcast you basically you have to be stupid and you also have to have no backup plan and you have to be incredibly lucky lucky and be surrounded <sighs> by very smart people we did it because we have a very large library of content and also wanted to make a large amount of things. And so we didn't want to be beholden to others telling us if we could or could not do that. And so we took, it's all friends and family money and we just, we jumped in deep into the pool. So there is so much great content and there's so much I, I have watched and I want to continue watching. Um, so it seems like you also have, content that's been created by other folks, not just your company. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. But we have about 96%. I think it was our last calculation is all original and you can't find it anywhere else. Wow. Um, we have films like um, Bottle Shock mm-hmm. and films like um, uh, the, the the documentary about Rudy Kearney Iwan's, uh, um Yeah, Sour Grapes. Yeah, Sour Grapes. That's on there. And a, a number of other wine films that we do license. But we license films to create content around them. So, you know, all sorts of things around wine counterfeiting. And obviously there's a live watch of Bottle Shock with Steven Spurrier that I did with him. And it's it's incredible when you find out what the true story is that he goes through with me. And, um, you know, it's basically as a springboard into other things. Um, you know, if we had Sideways on, we would talk about the explosion of Pinot Noir and Merlot and what happened. And right. we would get get deep with probably another eight hours of content around Sideways versus Sideways being the, you know, Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Sure. Well, what I f- have really enjoyed in watching, especially verticals, is how you've been able to get folks to really tell their stories that probably haven't been heard publicly, and also how you were able to coax them to open up some of these very precious bottles that, <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm thinking of the Martinelli segment where um, the granddaughter and great-granddaughter are opening up the 1936 the oldest bottle they've ever had of their families it's not even labeled but i mean and that bottle just just for your audience that bottle was i can't even tell you how incredible it was and the (sighs) and the reason it was in such good shape is back then just like in burgundy they they added a little bit of uh you know grappa or something to it to preserve it Mm -hmm. and it really all these really old wines People always ask, how is it possible it's still drinkable? Well, that's the reason. You know, they put yeah. a shot of grappa in there at the at the end. Interesting. Well, and that leads me to like, so once those bottles were opened, 
um, did you get to taste them? Did you and your crew get to try the wine? We drank every bit of it. All right. <laughs> That's a nice perk, you know. So it's you a perk. Not, <laughs> you may not make money, but you get the wine. <laughs> so, um, do you have some favorite interviews that you've done along the way? I do. Um, I'm so sorry about this, ladies. There is a leaf blower next to my office right now. Do you want me to hold for a second or just keep going? And I'll try to. I'll try to ride the you mute know button. Just go for it. We're, we're good. Yeah. Right. I am truly so, so but now sorry. Everyone, everyone listening knows what they're hearing. The leaf blower. That's fine. Oh, my God. Oh, you my know. God. This is the this is the life of working at home, but I will yeah, say it should right? be over so shortly. So well, well, Jason, you probably encountered leaf blowers and planes and other noise while you're filming on location. I know we had the darndest time, you know, with all that. We'd start filming, of course, Murphy's Law. Yeah, something would start up, and we're like, like okay, a chipper, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> oh, you have no idea the stuff we've had to deal with, especially filming in wineries. You're like, why are they disking right now next to us? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, some. What were you, your question was? What are some of the some my favorite interviews? interviews? Yeah, some people that you met that just, their 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 either their stories or just their presence stayed with you. Sure, sure, sure. All right. So there's there's several. I mean, with, this could be a long answer, and I'll try to condense it. Um, Paul Draper over at Ridge Vineyards oh. is somebody that I could just sit in the grass and listen to talk for five hours. The guy is a, is a, a brilliant storyteller and a wonderful human. Mm -hmm. um, somebody that again, it's just like you information and 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 it just pours out of him. And uh, he would be one. There's a woman named Jean Arnold Sessions who was. Yes. Yeah. Do you know you know Jean? I love Jean. She's one of my favorite people. Uh, she's in the Maya Comets Verticals, but she's a big part of the Judgment of Paris documentary coming up. And oh, good. Jean is, um, Jean is one of those gentle souls who is just so lovely and, and filled with so much knowledge and uh, really just understates how important she was and is to the wine business. Um, uh, Aubert de Valen over at Domaine Romani Conti is another person that I have really enjoyed being able to talk to and 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 speak to throughout the years, and he's a part of our projects. Um, I, I I there is somebody named Kelly White. She's a wine writer. Yes, who is I know Kelly. Yeah, Kelly's in tons of our stuff, and I I've now engineered this whole thing so that I get to spend time with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and so Kelly's a dear friend, and and um, you know it's it's just. The, the more I do this, the more I realize surrounding yourselves with the right people. They say casting is 80% of a film or a project, and they're right. And so I've been very lucky to film with these kind of titans. You know, Warren Winiarski we filmed with recently for Judgment of Paris. And, mm. But I've also been lucky to be kind of at the stage where people are at the beginning of their career and are going to change the industry for the next 30, 50 years. And I, and I like being on both sides of that coin. And uh, that's that I think is one of the most exciting things like Tessa Martinelli in the Martinelli episode is a brilliant young mother who is just hilarious and a great friend now. And it's just nice to be around both sides of that, you know, Absolutely, oh, I love that you see it that way, because you're right, there's the the next generation is is coming up and uh, their stories are also interesting. You know, one of the things I think is so fascinating about wine is that it's more than just a beverage, obviously. It's this lifestyle thing. And, you know, as an outsider looking in, it can be so seductive and enchanting. The, the wineries, the estates, it's very aspirational living. And as you got to meet these people and go to their lovely wineries and stuff, do you feel kind of sucked in by all of that? I do. I do. But I also, I think that there is 
the wine business has a lot of pushing a, a, a picture and a narrative forward that's not reality too. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, I'm very lucky to see both the curtain behind the curtain and in front of the curtain. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me as I move on. I'm not so interested in these giant, big, beautiful wineries. I'm interested in, you know, the places that you can't get a tasting at because not because they don't have a tasting room or it's invite only, but because they just don't do them. You know, there are wineries all over the world that are family run and all of these things. But the, the answer is so deeply. Yes. I find myself falling down the rabbit hole every day at work, every day. I want to make another film. I have 50 ideas and it's all because of, there is just no end to the wealth of stories. There is none. It nope. just keeps going. It, it does. And, you know, we would always be asked, you know, aren't you going to run out of story ideas for your TV show? I'm like, that's not our problem. Our problem is there are so many stories we want to tell and we just don't have enough time or resources to do it. Right. Yeah, this is something that I deal with uh, <laughs> daily. And, you know, the, the other problem with wine is in a lot of cases, these films, and we do a lot of food content as well. There's a, I have a couple feature films three about food coming out and one that I released this this year about food uh, sea urchin divers or no it was the beginning mm. of last year um, called The Delicacy which is on very dangerous movie to make all shot on film I did all the underwater photography but it's um, you know all of these particular things they can take years to make and so sometimes I get myself in bed with a story and I realize oh my god this is going to take me three years before it's ever done you know, and, and, and the developments that happen during that time influence the story. They change things. And, yeah. and, and you know, I think there was this thought when I made Psalm 1 that, okay, so you're going to follow more sommeliers. And then when I came out with Psalm 2 and it was really about history and wine and everything else, people went, what the hell is this? And then it was more popular than the first one. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then the third one, again, was a totally different story. And the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, which I cannot believe I just said out loud, that we're actually doing, <laughs> I'm nuts, are uh, are all very different from each other. I mean, it's just the stories are never ending, and I can totally agree with you, ladies, that there is no there is no end. Well, there must be a you know a desire for people to see this. You wouldn't if you didn't have an audience that these would play to, you wouldn't be doing this. So yeah, who do you consider? Yeah, well, my mom, <laughs> my audience is my mother. She watches everything. That's. It's, uh, it's, and she has, I, I she has about 10,000 paid accounts that she pays for on her own. So, no, I, uh, no, it's, uh, it, who is the audience? That's a great question. I think what we are trying to do is redefine, cause there really, there is no genre of wine films and you know, it's not like there's, you know, it's not like the Western or the melodrama or the horror film where you're like, Oh, that's a, and it always bothers me with documentaries that people go, Oh, it's a documentary. Like there's not genres within documentary. And people seem to think that documentaries can only be about, you know, somebody wrongfully imprisoned or environmental disasters. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is documentaries can be stupid and fun and goofy, serious. They can be about anything. So I see genres within documentaries, but then I also see genres within culinary and food things. So let me give you an example. So we have the Judgment of Paris film coming out, which I'm assuming you can imagine what that's going to be about. Um, But the next film coming out called The Ghost of Spring Mountain is legitimately a very scary film i mean it it deals with some very scary supernatural things that have happened in three abandoned wineries that are in one place in napa and they're also the history of napa and it involves a ouija board from the late 1800s and it involves a lot of different things and i think people will go 
wait a minute, there can be a supernatural thriller that's a documentary that's about wine? And I'm going to go, yeah? Like, why not? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, to me, I, I just, yeah, right. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to be very creepy that we have some filming sequences coming up in May. And I think a lot of people are a little concerned about doing, and uh, that's what's going to make it so uh, electric and fun. Um, you know, I always like this kind of stuff. And then the final, you know, then the next one is literally about the origin of wine and, and religion. And we filmed all over the Middle East and in a cave in the Caucasus Mountains that is going to rewrite human history. And I'm really? not saying that with any hyperbole. Oh, absolutely. And then while we were filming, a war broke out between Armenia and Azerbaijan right in the middle of our production. And that is incorporated in the story. And we filmed in Argentina. And these are these movies and these stories I find I'm not... I don't want to be bound by, you know, the cliches, even ones that I've accidentally created. And I think that, um, you know, I want to keep evolving these stories into different things and, and play with genre and do things that I don't think a lot of people would think to do because they're not crazy like me. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, yeah, that's the fun of it. So you're not following just a, a, the same formula over and over again. I love that. And and so the answer to your question of uh, the, of the question, who's your audience? I think you're you're saying anyone and everyone. His, yeah, his I, I think so. Um, you know, thriller movie fans. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Does that sound crazy? I know. I sound nuts. And 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 I and I hope I hope uh, at least people will go. I got to see what the heck this thing's going to be. Yeah. But I I truly do believe that what makes the best documentaries good is that they provide access to a world that you would never, you either you didn't know it existed or you didn't, you didn't know somebody could show it to you or it shows something in a whole new light. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing with our projects is my hope is, you know, that you look at this and you go, I didn't know that this world even existed. I didn't know that these people were so charismatic. I didn't know. You know, so in the end, it is entertainment, but I do hope that there's a, a fair amount of education involved as Absolutely. well. Jason, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, the you know the year that we've endured with COVID nineteen. The people you've met along the way, the sommeliers you've gotten to know through your work. You know, uh, COVID nineteen devastated the American restaurant industry, and yes. I guess these are some of, some of your probably close friends now. What do you see as the future for sommeliers? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, I do want to say, so we have, it's kind of secret, but, you know, a trailer's coming up very soon for a film called The Food Runner. And when COVID struck, and I mean literally shut down mm -hmm. restaurants, we decided we were going to find a group of people and follow them through the entire process. And so we landed on Bobby Stuckey, who runs Frosca Food and Wine yeah, sure. in Boulder. We followed him for an entire year every step of the way it was some of the most difficult filming we've ever done because of the permits the access the danger and at the very beginning of the days of, of covid nobody really knew how dangerous it was or what you could do and this film i think is going to be incredible because it deals with him dealing with the senate and other major chefs and trying to save restaurants not just his it was he literally spearheaded helped spearhead saverestaurants.org and so most of it involves talking to senators and congress and it's a wild film that I don't, I don't think anyone else did. We were the only ones that were crazy enough to throw ourselves into the ocean of that. And so I think that some of the answers will be shown in that film. Yeah. Here's, here's my answer to the future sommeliers. I, I think the most important thing is to, I, to define what a sommelier is, and most of them can't even do that. So I would say 
Sommeliers are curators. I don't believe they need to work in a restaurant, though some of them, most of them, think that that's the only way they can call themselves one. Um, I personally believe the sommelier profession itself is going to get redefined. I think especially when it comes to gender and inclusion and, and, you know, skin color and things that are really important. I think that is going to be, I think COVID is going to be a really great kick in the ass for the industry so that the right voices can now be in the position. Right. Um, and that's one thing for the future. But the other is I do think restaurants will come back. I pray to God that there's, they're not all just going to be huge companies that could weather this and that swallow up all the little guys. Yeah. But I do believe, I do believe they're going to, the profession's going to be okay in a standpoint that it will be redefined. But I do think it's an, it's an incredibly necessary position in a restaurant or a distributor, someone who can curate. It's so important. That's true. Um, but to follow up on the redefining the profession or what a sommelier is, um, it's been a challenging year, not just because of COVID, but with all the other controversies that have come up, the cheating on the master sommelier exams, and, and oh, yeah. unfortunately, the accusations or um, raised of sexual harassment by several master sommeliers. Some have who, who have appeared in your films, and, I, oh, and I'm absolutely. wondering your response to that and what you see as um, you know the where the industry might be going as a result of that. Well, I think. I think you hit on something early about this being this kind of secret society. You know, understand, there's, I think there's some misconceptions about Sam and my involvement with the court. And, I, you know, they have never had any say in what the actual product has been. You know, it's not like, you know, they didn't pay us to make Sam. In fact, working with them was, and this is not their fault. Well, kind of. It was a pain in the ass. You know, as, a, <laughs> as an access, working with the court was, was, was downright awful. And mostly because... They'd give me access, they'd rip it away. They'd promise me I could film something, and then they'd take it away. And it was like, you know, I, I'm glad there weren't roofs around me high enough to jump off of, because I would have. But, <laughs> you know, the fact that when you say this, this secret society, I think that's the problem. Yes. Yeah. It's a huge problem. And it's a huge problem in not just wine or restaurants. When you have people who don't have the visibility to understand why things happen, it leads to people who have a false sense of authority. And that's not fair. And, you know, when um, I'm not I'm not trying to say how an organization should run themselves because, you know, that's not my thing. But I will say I got thrown into this by documenting them and having an association that when these articles came out, I mean, the cheating thing. I just want to say one thing. Thank God I was not filming mm -hmm. during this and I had nothing. Oh. You know, it had been years. Yeah. I mean. Oh, some of these people, I mean, I, I don't want to call them out by name, but are dear friends of mine who lost their their accreditation mm -hmm. in that thing. A nightmare. Wow. Jill Zamorski is a is a cast member for Som TV. She has a show. She hosts her own podcast, reviewing wine books for us. And she took the test twice. She lost her thing in it and then took decided she's one of the few people that's passed the master exam two times. And she decided to take it again and do change from within. And I applaud her every day for that. Um, but she's a tough cookie and doesn't take any crap from anybody. Yeah. But there's a lot more that were dear friends of mine and it's heartbreaking that they went through this, but I got to watch that as an outsider. And, but when it comes to the New York times article, 
that Julia wrote and, and all the other articles that subsequently came out, I can't overemphasize the disgust that I have for, you know, it's so easy to say, I didn't know. You know, it's so easy for anybody to say that. And there's truth to that, but it doesn't excuse anything. And there are a lot of ways to to look at this. I mean, ugh, I mean, you know, one of the people named, I think, the most egregious person, you know, we had cut ties with for about six years due to some of the similar issues. But another person that's named in there was in Psalm 3. You know, Fred was in Psalm 3 and, and Psalm 1 and all of these things and I think it made me realize something that is really important to get access to these people. You know, I wasn't, I think there's a false sense that socially we were like best friends and hanging out at their houses. And that's really not the truth, but it did make me realize the responsibility we have had and and have moving forward to understand the full circle of what's going on. And I think that when we read that article, I'm, I'm speaking for my entire team, top to bottom, we disgustingly didn't know that this stuff had happened, but we also weren't surprised. And that is the gross thing that I, I every time I say that out loud, I want to, I want to, I want, I get sick because. Well, I could you know, be willing to say it to, you know, for, for owning that piece of it, you know, and, and you are not alone. There was a, a, you know, a lot of people probably witnessed things that, you know, in, in hindsight, would just speak up. Yeah. You know? And, but I yeah. think now bringing awareness to it, if you see something, it's, you need to step in, you need to say something. And I hope that's where we're the path forward out of all this and to, to, um, to bring diverse voices in and not, and also I think, and tell me if you agree with this. I think for a long time, Psalms have been placed up on this pedestal. Yeah, and a lot of that, I'll, I'll be flat out honest. I mean, a lot of people blame our films for that. And it's an interesting thing because it's a double-edged sword. Uh, sommeliers and Psalms and, and people, it's not just wine. I mean, if you look at the restaurant business, there was, a, there was and I'm sure will continue to be a large amount of stories coming out about people who were in positions of power and abused it in a myriad of ways. And it's not always just a sexual thing. It's not always, you know, there are so many ways that this can happen. And the truth is I, I'm, I wrestle with this internally as a filmmaker. And I think, um, you know, we definitely aided sommeliers being put up on a, on a pedestal, but the, but the inverse to that is now they can be looked at that way with the right people in that position. And it's not that it's so tough. And you see this in the film industry. You see this in every business where kind of an old guard and the people who have been there for a long time weren't, they weren't paying attention to the waves of how things need to change. And, and I don't mean need to change just for arbitrary social reasons. I'm talking, they need to change to make it better for things. I mean, the voices that I'm talking about, that are coming in now, and I've always been there, by the way, people just haven't heard them, are, they make it better. They make it more interesting and they make it more, um, there's, there's a larger group of people to sell wine to. There's a larger group of people listening and hearing more voices. And I, I, there's such a positivity that goes beyond just the basic, which is, you know, just the basic social elements that it just makes this a better world anyway. And I, yeah, I, I, we wrestle with this often and I, and I, and I think that 
it's so important to continuously talk, but also I think the thing that I have, I want to do better is to listen. I really want to hear things better rather than just putting my head down and filming nonstop. I want to listen to what's actually happening before, during, and after we film because the, there is no excuse for somebody who in a lot of cases is more talented, just not getting the ability to, to take a shot at a job. It's just so stupid when you think about it logically, whether it's because they're a woman or because of their skin color or because of whatever, those people are more talented and should have deserved to be able to have a shot at the job. And I, I yeah, I just don't want to be a part of somebody feeling that they don't have a chance due to a film. Sure. Right. You know, and I, I don't know that that has happened. I'm not trying to say that there's any, any fault or, or that there's not, but I, you know, this whole thing is just something that as documentarians, you're also showing what was there. And I mm -hmm. think there's an importance to looking at Psalm and into the bottle and Psalm three and, and, you know, who knows four years after I make these next films, it's important to look at them as a timepiece of what was actually there at the time too. And that's one way I think people can move forward is to take a look at where it was. I mean, you know, unfortunately, books and TV and media and those things, they are time stamps of what it was like. So, you know. Right. And as a lover of history, you want to tell those stories. And uh, but, you know, it sounds also like so many of us were understanding how access has has written you know, who, who, who lives to tell the story? It's the people who had the access and, you know, you're totally right. You are right. so right. And that's the other thing that's pretty neat with some TV is that, you know, we have, we have the, 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 this happens to be a women led company. Uh, it's not, it's all, you know, it's, it's, it happens to be, and I say it that way because the most talented people happen to have been women and they happen to run the company and do it very well. But it also gives us an opportunity with so much, so many movies, so many shows to have more voices and to let more voices actually make the content. You know, it's not just me. It's not just Christina. It's also new people telling their stories behind and in front of the camera. And that is something that I can't wait to keep growing and piling on top of because it's really important. That is exciting. And I do love seeing more and more voices, more and more stories. It's, it's really unlimited. And I'm glad that there are finally channels for more of these stories to be told and to be heard. We have a lot, we have, everyone's got a long ways to go. And I don't think something I'm learning and I'm sure again, you know, this is, you know, I'm a white guy having this conversation, but it's never, it's not like, oh, yay, we've accomplished it. It's just forever going to be something to keep working on. And there will be new things to work on later. It is important that anyone in a position of showing a world needs to understand that you have a lot of responsibility in doing that. And so I want to, you know, accountability is important. And, you know, I hope that these other organizations feel the need to be accountable for what their actions are. Very true. And, you know, we can all set examples by leading and, and doing that. And hopefully others will take notice. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to make it so heavy, ladies. I apologize. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> you have so much to play, and we're so grateful for the time you've taken with us. Before we let you go, I just wanted to um, make a mention of the fact I love that you work with your wife on these projects. And um, tell me about the the two roles you guys play in it. You're, all, you're also parents of two daughters. Um, and so you guys are really... Uh, 
very, very busy, I would imagine. So how, tell me about um, Christina's role and, and versus yours. Sure. Chris, so Christina, is the, she is the story mind. She is a, a brilliant story mind and she does all the story producing. She takes the chaos I bring back from set and organizes it into something that actually makes sense. So there's nothing of importance on the network or in our films that does not go completely through her brain and her hands. Um, but she also is the chief officer of the company running the business aspect as well. And so Christina has to say she has her hands full is an understatement. She is probably the best time management person I've ever met. I think mothers, I think mothers learn this by, you know, fire that they have to, they don't get a lot of time to do things. And so Christina has really, she's really shown me how to, how to stay focused and, uh, she's much better at it than I am. But basically, you know, I go out, I'm mostly on set. Christina is almost exclusively post-production because that is her strength to take all the interviews and take all the footage and organize it on paper and then also in the edit bay. And then so, you know, we literally have a director-producer relationship in that manner. And uh, I'm very lucky. You know, I think I think being with her in a lot of cases is the reason that I have any success as a filmmaker, truthfully. And I say this, that I think most directors who work with the same producer would say the same thing I'm saying. It's very, very important. And uh, we also have an incredibly talented team around us. Um, you know, a woman named Diane Carpenter, who's one of the founders of Sam TV, who has a great story mind and pushes a lot of the films together. And same with Nadine Netman, who is a story producer as well. It's very lucky. I think what makes a good director is you hire people that are smarter than you and you listen to them. And so that's kind of what's gone on. But, you know, we do have two little kids and... Uh, I think they're more like me than my wife wishes, but <laughs> but it's it's fun. You know, I'm going to look back at this and I think it's it's a very small operation in a fun way that we're all family and we all we we get a chance to fight, but we don't have a chance to stay mad at each other. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, and creative like stuff you you need to argue a bit to make things good, but you yeah. also need to respect the people that are in your space and it's it's, you know, you have to draw the boundaries of which, again, that's always a process. That's so but. Well, one thing we do need to talk about before we let you go is this new project that I'm seeing hints about on your Instagram feed, something to do with Psalm TV sparkling. Can you tell me about oh, that? Oh, sparklers. sparklers. Yes. I just I just got back from Oregon. We shot the first four episodes of a uh, of a it's a cooking competition show that is based around sparkling wine. So we have actually filmed there are uh, there are two producers in Italy, one in Piedmont, one in Franciacorta, one in the south of France in Limoux, uh, two in Champagne, Krug and Ruinart, and then one in Oregon, Lytle Barnett. And this is, I've never seen a show like this. So we have filmed it all over the world. And then the cooking competition portion takes place both in Oregon and then in Napa. And so it is a very intense very intense cooking competition show focused on regional dishes that are from where these sparkling wines are from and they have to use the wine in the cooking and it has some of the greatest up-and-coming uh people in the show but it's kind of a hybrid travel show documentary and also cooking competition it's the first of many competition shows we have coming to some tv this one is going to be oh my god it's so intense and so fun i've never i've never been more tired i am so tired i just got back from filming it in oregon it was very brutal, but so fun. What a wonderful And are you loving it? I am absolutely loving this. I mean, I just, there are people you know for sure that are on our cast, like Megan Zobeck, who's the winemaker at Burgess Cellars. Mm-hmm. Um, she is just a, a genius. Mary Mamed, 
who was oh, in the yes. Colony Institute of America. Yeah. Um, uh, George Walker, who runs Dwayne Wade Sellers. Uh, we have Matthew Kaner, who's a Som TV cast member and a big sommelier down here in uh, Los Angeles, a restaurateur. And then Claire Copey, who is also a Som TV cast member and the beverage director at a, one of the best sushi restaurants in California called Sushi Note down here. And so the five of them are the competitors on the show. And it's, um, man, you know, you, wine people are. are competitive people. <laughs> Let me tell you that much. Yeah, but I am loving it. This is so, it's such a dream to be able oh, to, nice. to, to make and this kind of And when can we expect to see that? That comes late summer. So we still have a little bit more to film. We have a, one thing to film in Champagne and then the final episodes, which, oh boy, the final episodes will be filmed in June. And so then, yeah, so then late summer it will release and I will sleep for two <laughs> weeks straight. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of reeling, listening to everything you've got going on. You are so darn busy. I am incredibly grateful you took this time with us today. You know, I think with your uh, your work ethic, the productivity, the energy, and the passion that you put into everything, my goodness, you will never be a forgotten man, <laughs> even if you're a company forgotten man film. We, um, we are just uh, grateful again for this time and getting to know you better, Jason, and I'm wishing you continued yes. success with all of your endeavors. Hey, the honor's mine. I, I, oh. I'm so honored to be on the podcast, and it's, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been very fun to talk oh, to you guys. Thank you so much, and you know, thank you for bringing all these wonderful stories into our lives, and for, you know, telling the stories behind the label. We love that. We love what you're doing, and can't wait to see all these films coming out. Oh, thank you. Well, I look forward to at some point here shortly having like in person being able to clink a glass with that, both of you. We would, would that be we would love that. We would really love that. <laughs> All thank right. You. Fantastic. Right. Thanks. All right. Well thanks again. And um sip sip hooray, Jason. Okay. Cheers. Thanks, ladies. Sip sip hooray. Well Mary Orlin, Jason Weiss is a force of nature. My goodness, the man is involved in so much and has a personal connection to everything he's doing. I mean, he's not just uh, sending other people out on the road to film things. He's doing it. I, mean, I am just stunned by his productivity. I wish I had a tenth of his energy and drive, but you can tell he's not only passionate, he's obsessed and he's obsessed with storytelling, and we love storytelling, so what a great connection to have with him. Absolutely, and I love that he just keeps finding new and interesting stories to tell in the wine world, and I mean, the fact that he's got a, a mystery thriller I know, with connected a, to wine, with, I mean. With a, with a Ouija board, right. so I can't wait to see that. A cool character. So I'm glad we got a chance to visit with him. And I hope you, our listeners, enjoyed the conversation as well. And if you do enjoy our podcast, please share it with your friends. Tell them all about Sip Sip Hooray Podcast. That's right. You can find us on com, And there you'll see all the different podcast platforms that we broadcast on. So you can pick and choose and whatever your favorite podcast platform is, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're on our website, you can see all of our other episodes. We have some really super cool, super fun people you'll want to get to know. Yes. And please, we, we also invite you to follow us on social media. We are Sip Sip Hooray Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Sip Sip Hooray 
one on Twitter. That's right. And please tag us at Sip Sip Hooray Podcast as well. And um, we invite you to come back for another amazing episode. We've got a lot of exciting guests coming up. And we really thank you for joining us today. So Mary Babbitt, this has been awesome. Sip Sip Hooray to you. Sip Sip Hooray to you, Mary Orland. Thanks so much. And cheers. Cheers. Cheers.